You are about to hear the most interesting, informative, thought-provoking, opinion-leading, and funny show in America, on air and on the World Wide Web. This is The Rob Carson Show. And welcome to the Rob Carson Show, the pre-Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving Eve version, although it is morning, it's not quite Eve yet. Well, it's technically afternoon, uh, depending on where you are. I am Mary Walter sitting in for Rob Carson. I will be back with you on Friday. They're giving me tomorrow off. That's kind of nice because being in this business, I have worked on Thanksgiving. Um, Brian knows that. Brian will be here. I think he's I think he's working tomorrow, right, Brian? You're working a little bit tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's working tomorrow. It's because when you and people are like, "Oh, that's terrible." What do you mean you have to work on Thanksgiving? I'm like, "Yeah," and I've worked Christmas and I've worked New Year's. I've worked every holiday known to man. And they're like, "Well, that's terrible." I said, "Well, when you turn your radio on, there are people there, aren't there? Right? There are people who work." So, uh, but I'm actually going to have tomorrow off. So I'm very excited. You can join me anytime during the show. As you know, I do enjoy your calls. I do enjoy getting to speak with you. You are always welcome to disagree with me. I have no problem with that because, listen, sometimes maybe I'll change your mind. Maybe you'll change my mind. Maybe, you know, thinking and being challenged and and opening up your mind to thoughts that, that might be different from what you hear all the time is the only way you grow. So we can do that throughout the show, 1-800-922-6680. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. Kicking it off today with a guest. This woman's incredible. Her name is Melanie Collette. She's the former vice chair of the New Jersey Federation of Republican Women. You can follow her on Twitter at NJGOP Diva. <laughs> so you know where she stands. Melanie, hey, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invite. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you're here. So uh, we will talk a little Turkey Day, but there's one thing since you are the former vice chair of the New Jersey uh, Federation of Republican Women. You were the perfect person, I think, to have this discussion with. And this is something that Republicans don't like to talk about, and it's abortion. And I'm not going to get into like abortion on on Thanksgiving Eve. We're not going to get into the details. But here's my thing. I think the Republicans have a huge problem with messaging. When it comes to this, their message is not clear at all. I don't know what the Republican stance is on this. You know, um, Nikki Haley, I think, handled it very well in the debates. But overall, Democrats hold a double digit advantage over Republicans on abortion. And that's what they they are very smart in making the election all about that. You know, Republicans are going to force you to give birth and they pick pictures of the handmaid's tale and all this other stuff. Um, do you, how how do the Republicans handle this? What do you think is, is the right thing for them to do? What should the message be coming universally from the top down or bottom up for Republican candidates? I think that the message should be consistent as it was when it was in the Supreme Court. Yes. Which is is that it's a state's rights issue. I'm floored by the number of, um, the number of candidates in the primary that are advocating for a 15-week ban. Why are we doing it for federal? For a federal 15-week ban. Why? Why? Why is that what you're advocating for? That does not make any sense whatsoever, and it makes us sound uh, disingenuous as far as yes. what our position was. Was that it was wait, unconstitutional, wait. which of course it is. But you know, I, I just. I, 
I don't understand the messaging here. No, it was all about it was all about for the longest time. You know, it shouldn't be Roe v. Wade. Even even um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that it was a bad law. Roe v. Wade was a bad bad law, and that we wanted to, every Republicans wanted to kick back to the states. That's what it should. States' rights. Let the states decide. They get that the states can decide now, which actually puts more power in the people's hands when you think about it, right? So, so if your state, if you don't have it in your state, but the state next to you does, well, then there you go. You can just cross state lines, right? And but to your point, now they're like, no, we need we need a federal ban at fifteen weeks. It, to me, it's so like I'm just turning my head and like what? I'm like I feel like the RCA dog, you know, with my head cocked, or the dog when he thinks she hit the tennis ball, and you're like, wait, where did it go? Right. And I. So why? But why is it such a mess? Nikki Haley, I, you know, I don't know what their problem is. I, you know, I, I've participated in many elections over the years, and one of the first things that you look at are the numbers, right? Why would they think that they have the numbers? And I think Nikki Haley, to your point in your in your introduction, handled the situation very well in saying that what's the likelihood of us getting 60 in the Senate? Like, let's focus on that first. One thing that ticks me off about election cycles and politicians is they say things that are just not true and make promises that they can't keep, or the promises that they're making, to, to, to Nikki Haley's point, um, need 60 votes in the Senate. And, and if you don't have those votes, like, point that out. Point out the details. They don't point out the details, like, you know, about having exceptions. They don't point out that, the, that you know, rape and incest is like 1% to 3% of abortions. Point out the facts. I think if you lean on the truth and the facts that the people will be behind you, but instead you're, you're um, kind of marketing to the most extreme of the Republican Party, right? One thing that I say all the time is that there's a difference between a conservative and a Republican. And it seems like the support that, um, you know, your Tim Scott, who, who I absolutely adore, um, are getting are from – the, the most extreme parts of the party or the most conservative parts of the party, which you're not going to win a general with that support. And I'm not even sure you win the primary with that because a, a lot of our voters are very savvy, even in the primary, and they are concerned about whether or not you can win a general. So I just don't, I don't get what the calculus is here. There doesn't seem to, and this to me goes back to Ronna McDaniel. I'm sorry. I just think she's awful at her job. Why Trump endorsed her is a mystery to me. It's like the Sphinx will never know. So I, I don't know why he endorsed, <laughs> right? Right. But, but so I, I just think she's terrible at her job. She doesn't have a ground game for ballot harvesting in states where it's legal. They don't have a ground game, period. They're not, you're not signing up voters at all these colleges. They're not doing anything along those lines. Scott Pressler is like the lone voice out in the wilderness who's doing all the work and Ron McDaniel to me is doing nothing. She's writing off states like our state of New Jersey. The last gubernatorial election uh, Jack Chitterelli came within a, a hair's breadth of yeah. beating the incumbent, the Democrat Phil Murphy, but d- the National put no money into New Jersey. So it, it just seems to me as if they're, they're rudderless and I don't know if it's by design or it's incompetence. That's what I can't well, figure out. I think it's by design, but I think it's kind of old school design. Like that's a very old school way of thinking about elections. 
And, you know, to, to not know the writing on a wall, like, what did they base that, those decisions on? You know, those of us who are here in New Jersey were flabbergasted that Jack lost. I, I mean, I, I went to one of the um, – one of the debates, and Phil Murphy literally said that black people were still enslaved during the debate. No, none of the media picked it up. There was no pushback. And, and he is a horrific governor. Terrible. So, you know, the, the state of New Jersey is the most expensive state in the country to live in, if not one of the most. And, and I just, I, I don't understand what the strategy was behind that, like to put no money into um, New Jersey? Did you, do, did you do any polling, any district polling? Like what happened there? Yeah. I, I completely agree. I used to be a big fan uh, of Rana, but I don't understand. But I also have to give a little pushback to our state party as well. What, what, did, what did we do there? Yeah, nothing. You know, I, nothing. I, I just <laughs> – like, yeah. what, what, what did we do – um, as far as being strategic for an election. Yeah, and this isn't just New Jersey. I don't want people to think this is just New Jersey. This plays out, you saw it play out in California during the last gubernatorial election there with Larry Elder. They didn't give him any support either. You know, the the national and the, and the I don't know about the state, but the national GOP didn't give him any um, support in, in California. So I think this is a lot of this, the, the national likes to hold on to their money. And I, I think that if they had more volunteers, it wouldn't be a problem. So uh, They do. They do like to hold on to their money. Um, and it's, sometimes it's really maddening. But, you know, that they take the kind of um, opinion or the position that if you have no chance of winning that election, don't put any money into yeah. it. Well, then, are we really running elections or not? Are we really trying to win or not? Sometimes you have to go a little bit at a time, just like we've done in New Jersey. Look how close we came. And if we had had that extra push, maybe we would have yep. won. Yeah. You know, the, the governor's race. So that mm-hmm. is, you know, but, but, but there's things in New Jersey that people don't accept. Um, there's things that a lot of voters don't accept. And I wish the electorate was a, a, a tad more uh, informed. Like, there were people who didn't vote for Jack because he, he was not a strong Trump supporter. That's not in the state of New Jersey. Like, look at the writing on the wall. Look at what lane you're in. You can't be but if you're going to win a statewide election, in my opinion, you can't be but so strong of a Trump reporter. In my district, in my legislative district, in my county, uh, yes, big red organizations support Trump all you want. That's going to be a plus. But on a statewide election in a place like New Jersey, it's not going to be a plus. But there are people who wouldn't support Jack. Because of that, which to me is just you're playing the short game, you're not playing the long game, and you're not thinking about whether or not we can actually get elected. You have right. to be moderate in the state of New Jersey to get elected. Like, I, I'm yeah. pro life, but I feel like in New Jersey, you don't have much of a choice but to, at minimal, I mean, Chris Christie was pro life. Um, I, I don't know if he's like super, super strong. <laughs> Pro-life, but. Well, but you know, again, getting back to the messaging part of it nationwide, it's uh, it, we got it to go back to the states, right? It's not a federal yep. mandate. Republicans now calling for a federal mandate is insanity, and they need to get together and just say, "Look, it's back in the states. You get to handle it in your state how you want it. You have power on the state level, so you actually have more power." And then leave it at that, and and they just don't. But before we uh, 
before I run out of time here, I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with you. Uh, Quinnipiac University poll says that a 61% of people that they polled don't want to talk politics at the Thanksgiving table tomorrow, but 29% are looking forward to it. Which camp are you in? I am in a 29% category. I There's not much I love to talk about more than politics and policy, so... Uh, it, it, it's torture. Depending on where I where I land on Thanksgiving, it can be absolutely torturous situation <laughs> because I can't. If I'm with family, I cannot talk about politics because most of my family is not team not team red. Um, but if I'm with friends who are mostly team red, then I'm good to go. But I'm definitely I prefer to to be in a place where I'm comfortable and no one's going to get triggered uh, if I say you know. Uh, that uh, your people are born either male or female. <laughs> right. <laughs> we usually go to our neighbors and there's one branch of their family. There's a couple there who are a team blue. And so like we know who they all are because we've been going there for years and years and years. So we know who all the players are. So we zip it because it's not my family. Uh, but if we're going to my family or my husband's family, I love dropping like little bombs here and there, just little tiny ones, just to boop, like, like little firecracker, little things here and there, like on my way out the door, those types of things. Uh, George... George Takai has um, words of wisdom for anyone who is going to be dealing with this tomorrow. He said, as you contemplate going home for the holidays, especially if you have any vocal MAGA relations, remember this coping strategy. Hear everything they say for what it is from a brainwashed cult of millions who have been misled and manipulated. Do not attempt to deprogram or you will just become the enemy. Listen with patience and try to find common things you both enjoy to talk about. Remind them of your humanity and do things that let them remind you of theirs. This is how love ultimately prevails. Now, if he hadn't taken the dig at the MAGA and, you know, brainwashing, this could have been a post from a conservative to a liberals. You know what I mean? So, right, the bulk of his his message is true. It's just that, of course, he had to take the shot at at, uh, conservatives. So, Well, you know, nobody else, none of his liberal friends are going to read it unless he takes a shot at conservatives. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, Melanie, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you for being with us on the Newsmax hotline here on the Rob Carson show. We do appreciate you and enjoy your weekend as well. Thank you for joining me. Same to you and yours. Thank you so much for having me. 1-800-922-6680 is the number. If you want to jump in, love to hear from you. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to the Rob Carson show. Hey guys, it's Carson. You know, everybody knows the next medical crisis just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust and their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z From anthrax to tick bites to COVID, even a bioweapon like a plague, the Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, antiparasitics on hand to make sure you and your family are safe from whatever the globalists throw at us next. Go to www.twc.health slash Carson. Again, twc.health slash Carson 
today and order. That's TWC Health slash Carson and use the promo code Carson to save 10%. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Rob Carson with you on the Rob Carson Show. So there's a lot going on today. We have, you know, serious news, but we also have some lighter stuff as we get closer, obviously, to the holiday. Things are going to lighten up, hopefully. And I, I never like when there's bad news around the holidays. It's just, it's terrible. Um, okay, but this is sad news. This, every, I've, I've gotten so many texts about this this morning. And I have to tell you, I'm not that worked up about it. But I'm going to share it with you anyway, okay? According to Variety... Hall and Oates are embroiled, embroiled, I tell you, in a confidential legal battle that apparently is not so confidential because now we all know about it. And this battle now has led to Daryl Hall getting a restraining order against John Oates. Now, if you ask me which one's which, I can't tell you. I don't know the difference between Daryl or John. I got nothing. Now, according to Variety, little information about the lawsuit is publicly available. The court documents are sealed. This is crazy. Uh, But based on court records, Hall filed an undisclosed complaint against Oates November 16th, so not that long ago, and also filed a motion for a temporary restraining order. Now, this came out in Philadelphia Magazine. The next day, the 17th, the court officially issued a temporary restraining order to begin November for the 30th. Now, to be fair to uh, John Oates, anybody can get a temporary restraining order against anybody for any reason. They're ridiculously easy to get. You can go down to the police. And I understand why they're easy to get because, God forbid, you know, somebody really is a danger to somebody else. But if you really are, you're going to walk through a lot of a lot of people who really are a danger. Just walk right through that piece of paper. But a lot of times they're used maliciously when it comes to spouses fighting or in a messy divorce. You know, one of them will go down and ladies, it's usually us. It's usually us who go to the police department. He threatened me. And so the cops don't want to deal with it. So they're like, OK, fine. And then they fill out a TRO and it's served on you by a cop. And it's to humiliate you and scare you. And then you have to go to court and the judge decides whether there should be a final one or not. But a temporary really doesn't mean anything other than I think to to scare you into staying away. Okay, so I don't read a lot into that. I don't I don't read guilt into that. So he's got a TRO that be, uh, begins November thirtieth. But until so it, so it's really not that immediate since it's, it's it can't be that I guess um, dire if it doesn't if it doesn't start until November thirtieth. So I guess they can still have Thanksgiving together. Uh, the Nashville Chancery Court confirmed all of this to Variety, but would not comment any more because the lawsuit is sealed. Now TMZ is pointing out that Hall disparaged Oates on Bill Maher's podcast last year, saying, "You think John Oates is my partner? He's my business partner. He's not my creative partner." Okay, I don't know how that's disparaging, but they're artists, so they're probably very touchy. You know, they get very touchy. He's also went on to say, John and I are brothers, but we're not creative brothers. We are business partners. We made records called Hall and Oates together, but we've always been very separate. And that's a really important thing for me. Okay, that doesn't sound disparaging to me. And then he went on saying you know, the, the their number one hit in 1980, Kiss on My Lips. 
He said it was an example of their apparent creative separation. He said, I did all those harmonies. That's all me. And Oates is not credited as a songwriter on Kiss My Kiss on My List, but he's listed as is was co-produced with Hall. So I gotta tell you, I think this is a whole bunch of like very sensitive artist type stuff going on here. I could be wrong. But having worked with artisty type people, they're very sensitive. We had a uh, a decorator who used to feel the colors. She's great at her job. She's phenomenal, incredibly talented, and I wish she hadn't retired because she was wonderful. But she would sit in a room and go, "I don't this this color bothers me. This color hurts me." And I was like, "Okay." So, I don't know, maybe that's going on here, but it's kind of sad if that's what's happening, but maybe that's why so many of these groups break up, you know? So, a little sad news before Thanksgiving if you are a Hall and Oates fan. A whole lot more, though, to talk about if you are not, coming up on The Rob Carson Show. thought about an emergency medical kit maybe you've got some potable water maybe you've got some food stored or a freezer full of food in case of an emergency what about meds what about if your pharmacy closes what about if the supply chain breaks down what about if the demand is too big maybe you should consider the wellness company just go online fill out a questionnaire they'll customize an emergency medical kit for you if you have an aspirin in your medicine cabinet you should have a medical emergency kit in your house so here's what you got to do. Just go to the Wellness Company. Here's their website. And use my name, Carson, get 10% off. Get this done. TWC.health slash Carson. TWC.health slash Carson. All right? Rest assured knowing you have emergency medical antibiotics, antivirals, antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family and keep them safe from whatever the globalists throw at us next. So if you if you got a bug out plan and a secret password, you know, just in case, hey, you know, the password is snowflake or whatever. You need an emergency medical kit, right? Just to have it. It just, it makes sense. It's like a generator. Your electricity goes out. You just need to be ready. And this is a great way to do it. Again, twc.health slash Carson ivermectin, Z-Pak, hydroxychloroquine, all the meds that the CDC and HHS said you could not have because they wanted you to, you know, take a vaccine or their, their remedy for COVID. Again, it is twc.health slash Carson. That is it. Mary Walter in for Rob Carson on this Thanksgiving Eve. I know some people, the cooking has already begun, especially my Italian friends, because they do the whole Italian thing first. I'm sure a lot of people do, you know, mix up uh, different ethnic foods. And then the turkey and, and all the trimmings, traditional stuff comes out, but it's always last. And you're like, I have no room. Um, all right, let, let's talk about some other news that is coming out today. According to Reuters, Israel and Hamas have agreed to, to a pause in uh, the fighting. In Gaza, and there will be in in an agreement for this, an exchange for this. There's going to be a hostage release. Fifty hostages held by Hamas are going to be released in exchange for 150 Palestinians held by Israel. Hmm. Now I'm not an expert on these things, 
But I think of that, and I'm like, well, that just doesn't seem like a very good deal to me. 50 hostages in exchange for 150. Okay, but, you know, not my deal. Fine. Uh, under the deal, they both, both sides agreed to a four-day truce so that 50 women and children under the age of 19 who were taken hostage could be by, by the Hamas could, would be freed in return for 150 Palestinian women and teenagers in being held by Israel. The 50 hostages that were taken by Hamas are among about 240 that they took in their raid. And they're expected to be released in batches about a dozen a day during this four-day ceasefire. And this is why Hamas took them. This is what they want. Now, I'm, I'm not a war expert, but I think we've seen enough to know that this is why Hamas took these people, right? So that they could be used as bargaining chips. They could be used as human shields. They have no regard for life whatsoever. And and then, you know, Israel would give them these pauses. And these pauses allow them to regroup, I think, regroup, rearm, you know, move things. Because right now, Israel's got them up against the ropes. So a, a four-day ceasefire, I think, just gives, gives Hamas the ability to just regroup so they can come and kill more Israelis. I don't know about this. And I'm, I, I, I would, I'm going to assume the Israelis know what they're doing because they are an incredible fierce fighting force. So I will assume that they know what they're doing as far as the, um, the hostage exchange as well. Now the pause is going to be extended by a day for each additional batch of 10 hostages released. Now, I don't know how many, how many people are being held in Israeli jails. I have no idea. I have no idea how many they have. And I don't think they're going to tell. Hamas said Israel has agreed to halt all air traffic over North Gaza from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. every day of the truce and to halt all air traffic over the south the entire time. So this means Israel can't fly drones. They can't do any kind of surveillance during that time. They also said Israel agreed not to attack or arrest anyone in Gaza so people can move freely along the main road, which uh, many Palestinians have used to go from, north, from the northern part of, of Gaza to the southern part uh, where, you know, Israel said, go south because we're attacking at the north. Uh, the, uh, now, this was done, a lot of this was negotiated th- via Qatar. Now there, that's where the leaders of Hamas, they have four leaders who are, who are worth, I read somewhere, I think like between nine and $11 billion, these four guys, while their people live in poverty. I mean, if you look at the conditions, the people in Gaza live in, it's disgusting. They live in poverty. These these four guys worth about 11, between nine and $11 billion. Okay. Um, so they, uh, the, the, they're, they're living in Qatar really safely and high on the hog. So Qatar, I think is trying to walk the line here. Uh, the, the chief negotiator in the talks said that under the deal, there would be quote, no attack whatsoever, no military movements, no expansion, nothing. And he said that Qatar hoped it would be a seed to a bigger agreement and a permanent ceasefire. I just don't understand why Qatar is, is harboring these guys. Make them go back and fight. Make them go back. They're the ones that started this. But yet they're, they're not living anywhere in the war zone. Of course not. 
Uh, they already started the truce. It started already. Well, not truce. The ceasefire. It is not a truce. It is a ceasefire. Uh, and it has already started. Started uh, Thursday. Well, today's Wednesday. So it's okay. So it starts uh, the so 24 hours from the announcement because they're so far ahead of us time-wise. As early as 10 a.m. Thursday, their time according to an Egyptian source telling Reuters. The International Committee of the Red Cross is going to work in Gaza to facilitate the release of the hostages. They're expected to be transported through Egypt, um, which, other than Israel, shares a border with Gaza. And during this, this ceasefire, trucks loaded with aid and fuel are expected to cross into Gaza. But here's part of the problem is that Hamas takes a lot of the food in order to feed their fighters. It doesn't go to the people, and they take the fuel to fuel their trucks, etc. And it doesn't, again, doesn't go to the hospitals, and it doesn't um, help the people. So, gosh, what a catch-22. Hamas has not released a full list of names of those being held in Gaza. Uh, they said they needed they need a pause to locate and determine where people are. Not all the hostages are being that were taken on October seventh are being held by Hamas fighters. The, now, among the fifty women and children children under the age of nineteen who are being released by Hamas are, include three U.S. citizens, including a girl who turns four to, on Friday. I can't imagine. In addition to Israeli civilians and soldiers that were taken October 7th, more than half of the approximately 240 hostages that they think they have are foreign and dual nationals from about 40 countries, including Argentina, Britain, Chile, France, Germany, Portugal, Spain, Thailand, uh, and the U.S. So I, th- I think that's one thing that is working against Hamas is you're messing with a lot of very big countries and you took their people. Although they're thinking, they're betting that that those countries are going to put pressure on Israel to get those people back and put pressure on them to, re, you know, say, get to get them to release them. So, okay, so I was wrong. Israel has provided a list of about 300 Palestinian prisoners who might be released. Uh, double the number of women and children that it has agreed to be freed at first. It suggests more than 50 hostages to be released under the deal. Okay. The Palestinian Prisoners Society said uh, that they say that uh, Israel has about 7,200 prisoners being held, among them 88 women and 250 children uh, age 17 and under. So uh, this is a very, very complicated thing. As I said, Qatar played a large role in this. Uh, Hamas does has, Hamas has their political office in Doha, Qatar. So the Qatari government is keeping channels of communication open with Israel. In some Gulf states, Arab states, don't have communications with Israel. That was started, of course, we were st- there was a step towards normalization and towards channels being open under the Abraham Accords under President of, uh, at the time, President Trump. So Egypt was the first Arab state to sign a peace deal with Israel and we know that uh, we had planes that were starting to land in Saudi Arabia from Israel, etc. So that's where they are now, according to Reuters. So I guess there's some good news in there, right? And some of these people are going to be brought home. But I think, sadly, we know that they already found two hostages dead. 
And, and I would think that uh, the, of the assumed 240 taken by Hamas, I'm sure there are more dead. Some of them were, were gravely wounded. Uh, there was one one guy we know lost an arm in a grenade attack. You know, I don't know what kind of health care he's getting, uh, you know, especially if they put them in the tunnels. They don't have a whole lot of regard for human life. So I... I think it's going to be a sad story in the end where I think we're going to find that a lot of these hostages uh, did die from either the wounds that they, they suffered or were killed by Hamas fighters. Uh, there was a video that was out yesterday. I don't know if you saw it from inside one of the hospitals because we know that they're using the hospitals as bases for they, they, they store their weapons there and they have tunnels that, that start in these hospitals and go right under for the, for the soldiers to use. And you saw them bring the, these hostages in there and they were treating them. They're like banging them against the walls. And there's one guy on a stretcher and they're rolling him on a stretcher. And it looks like he's missing part of a leg and he's covered in blood. And he's just laying on the stretcher and they're, they're rolling the stretcher in and they're hitting the walls with it. And he's being jostled all over the place. And I would assume that the doctors hopefully would do their best to help save these lives. But considering the way that Hamas is treating them, I, I don't know. So it's just not a good situation all the way around. But hopefully we'll get some more details as time goes on here. But as of right now, that's what's known. And of course, you'll get updates during the news, obviously, um, at, at, at the top and bottom of the hour. All right. Your comments, 1-800-922-6680. If you would like to comment, you can also leave comments for me on tw- on Twitter or on X, whatever you want to call it, at Mary Walter Radio. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Rob Carson Show. I'm Mary Walter in for Rob Carson on the Rob Carson Show. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Uh, So this came down yesterday. It affects Maryland, but I think a lot of these wind up affecting the entire country. A federal appeals court struck down Maryland's handgun licensure law. They said it's a violation of the Second Amendment. The Maryland law requires you, if you you want to get a handgun, you have to first secure a handgun qualification license. And in order to get that, you have to take a four-hour firearms safety class. You have to complete a background investigation and wait up to 30 days. The Fourth Circuit found that this law is not, quote, consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. And that being then the standard being the support, what the Supreme Court set out in its New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin ruling. The judge wrote in the majority opinion, he said, in Maryland, if you're a law-abiding person who wants a handgun, you have to wait up to 30 days for the state to give you its blessing. Until then, there's nothing you can do. The issue is out of your control. Maryland has not shown that this regimen is consistent with our nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. And he wrote that the requirement does not fall into the same category as laws prohibiting dangerous people from obtaining weapons because it does not identify a specific group to restrict from owning firearms. He wrote, instead, it prohibits all people 
from acquiring handguns until they can prove that they're not dangerous. So in other words, this is another one of those, I have to prove myself innocent until guilty. Uh, you know, instead of improving myself, you know what I mean? Instead of you having to prove me guilty, I have to prove my innocence. He said, Maryland's law burdens all people only if temporarily, rather than just a class of people whom the state has already deemed presumptively dangerous. Uh, the judge who wrote the dissent uh, wrote in her dissent that the majority's hyper-aggressive view of the Second Amendment would render presumptively unconstitutional most non-discretionary laws in this country requiring a permit to purchase a handgun. So I've always said, I- I'm a big Second Amendment fan because the majority of crimes in this country in which a gun is used are not the legal gun owner, is not the one committing the crime. Most of the guns com- that are used in the commission of a crime are stolen or obtained illegally in some way, okay? So the law-abiding people in this country aren't the ones who are breaking, who are using the weapons to commit a crime. You know, when I was in high school, I'm old, but when I was in high school, the first day of deer season and all through deer season, every pickup truck in the student parking lot, the guy, they, they had their gun rack and they'd have their, their rifle on the gun rack and they would be going hunting right after school. Not one of those guns got off the gun rack and came into school and shot anybody. We have to look at the problem. The problem isn't the guns. The problem's the person pulling the trigger. And in this country, we have a mental health problem, especially with our young men. We have a big mental health problem. And we have to do something to help them and to address it and find out why. But preventing, you know, a 32-year-old woman from getting a gun or, or making her jump through these hoops isn't right. The other part of this is it disenfranchises minorities. If having to have an ID to vote is racist because black people can't get, can't get IDs, right? That's what the left tells us all the time because they're a bunch of racists. Every black person I know has an ID. They know how to get an ID. They don't need white people to help them out. So it disenfranchises people who are law-abiding citizens who maybe live in a dangerous neighborhood or who are poor and want to be able to defend themselves. Because I know in my state, you have to pay. It's like $75 to get fingerprinted. You have to pay a $75 fee to get your firearms purchaser ID card. You know, I don't have a problem with having to take a class. I have no problem with that. That's fine. But I do have a problem with these hoops that you have to jump through. If you don't have an ID, you can't buy a gun, right? But they're fine with that. That's okay. They're fine disenfranchising people from their Second Amendment rights. But if you disenfranchise someone from their 14th Amendment, you're a racist. So it doesn't make sense. So it's going to be interesting to see if this goes nationwide, if if this will now apply uh, across state lines, because again, it'll probably have to work its way to the Supremes and the Supremes will say, yeah, you know, I think we're heading towards nationwide reciprocity, which I think would be great because too many law abiding people have been caught crossing state lines, not realizing. And they're honest about it. It happened. This teacher crossed from Pennsylvania to New Jersey. She had a restraining order against her husband. He was threatening her. So she she um, got a carry permit. I mean, which is impossible Well, in Pennsylvania, easy to get. But she came to New Jersey. She got stopped for a taillight. And the cops said, do you have any weapons? And she said, oh, I do. I have my my handgun. I can carry it. It's It's in my, you know, in the glove compartment in New Jersey. She couldn't carry. She went to jail. She lost her job, but she was honest about it. She wasn't a criminal. 
So I don't know, maybe we're making steps towards the insanity here, you know, maybe um, righting the wrongs. All right, more calls coming up. 1-800-922-6680 on The Rob Carson Show. Mary Walter in for Rob Carson on the Rob Carson show 1-800-922-6680 get a hold of me at Mary Walter radio if you like we got a lot coming up Jim Jordan sending out a subpoena yesterday got some fun little Thanksgiving facts and why you probably don't want to fly for the holidays I'll tell you why it's coming up on the Rob Carson show